I'm Katie J. And I'm Katie H. Welcome to the Katie's. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Katie's podcast. Hello. We're so happy to have you or you to have us, whichever whichever way you want to go. <laughs> However you choose to see this today. However you choose to view the situation. <laughs> no, but we are so happy to once again uh, be meeting you here through this format. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's even crazier today because we are actually speaking to you from the past. From the past. <laughs> but today on The April, Ghost of Katie's Past. Yeah. Whatever day it is. Seventh? Ninth? Wait. Sixth? Seventh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we are speaking to you from April 7th. Um, what's it like in the future? What's it like out there? <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, no, but we are speaking to you from the past because uh, Miss Katie H is on maternity leave. Yeah, we wanted to do a lot of front loading on this. We have a, this series we've been wanting to do anyways. And yes. we thought, what a perfect time to record it all before I have the baby so that we can have something really good yes. to leave you guys with so I can get some time off before coming back and jumping into it. So this is not like an offhanded thing. This is something that we have spent a lot of time thinking about mm-hmm. and talking about. We are spending a lot of time like putting resources into these episodes. Yeah, um, They're going to be a little bit shorter in format. Because we want them, to, they're going to be like information heavy. So we want them to be something where we leave you with resources to go and look out on your mm-hmm. own. But they are informative and useful and digestible. Yes. Um, but Katie, do you want to explain a little bit about what this series is? Yeah. So we're kind of diving into like church history. So uh, how church started and how we got to where we're at now with modern Western Christianity. That's mm-hmm. kind of going to be the focus because that's where, that's where we're, we're at. at. Um, that is not by any means all of it. No, definitely <laughs> That's what not. We understand, but this is that is the uh, purpose we're setting out to accomplish with this series, um, and so we are going to be doing it in these short snippets, like Katie was saying, like twenty-ish minutes, uh, kind of trying to address these major, like pivotal points in mm-hmm. church history. So we're going to be focusing heavily on like the creeds and the councils and the catechisms and yeah. stuff like that, just to give and paint a really nice, beautiful, broad picture of um, how we got where we're at today. Yeah, and we really don't want it to be just dry history. We like the nerdy stuff, (laughs) but we also want to emphasize and consider the, like, beautiful intention of God for his church and the fact that the Spirit is what drives the church. And we want to show you that throughout history— um, God's spirit has been and will always continue to work in and through his church yeah. and to build up his church and that he is in the work of doing that. He has been in the work of doing that. There have been bumps along the road uh, from a human perspective, but God's purposes have been and will continue to be accomplished through his church and yeah. through his body. And with Jesus as the head of it, like it is a perfectly designed institution. And yeah, we we want to make sure that we are like integrating um thematic elements of the narrative of scripture and yeah. all these things to show you the way that the way that this has happened. And that seems like a really big topic and it is and we're <laughs> a little bit scared. Yeah, we are a little bit scared. But I do want to caveat caveat. I do want to caveat in this specific conversation we're having right now that we do not know everything about church history. And we're not trying to pretend that we do. No. And that's the that's the point is we this is something that Katie and I as individuals and as a team have wanted to learn more about, expand our knowledge on 
grow a deeper love for. Yeah. And we want to do that with you guys. And yeah. so even if you are in your day-to-day life and you're finding good resources or cool things, send them our way. Right. Like, And we don't we don't want this to be like heavily scholarly. We The right. whole point of this is we want you as an average Christian yeah. <laughs> just living your life in the world to feel equipped to have good resources, yeah. good history, good understanding, good theology, all of the above. Yeah. And also to like move forward with confidence in God's perfect design for yeah. this and, you know, confidence in the fact that that can't be thwarted. Mm-hmm. There's nowhere that can go. Yeah, and uh, we do have a few guests that we're planning to bring on for different things, experts in some things, also people to just encourage you. Yeah. I really could not be more excited oh, for this. So excited. And yeah, I if you have like specific things too that you're inspired by or wanting to hear whatever, again, this will be retroactive, but Mm -hmm. we will be able to respond to those things. So uh, feel free to reach out or give us feedback as we go through this because it will be an experiment. So we are so excited. And today might be a little bit of a longer one Mm -hmm. because first of all, we're introing it, but also there's some important themes and ideas to establish and understand as we jump into like what the heck is the church? Yeah, (laughs) And I feel a little bit weird calling this like a church history series. Like I I really think this is just going to be like a series on the church. Like what is the church and Mm -hmm. what is it doing? What has it done? What are the bases we have to like trust anything that's happened throughout history and all of that stuff. So we're going to have, like I said before, a few resources on each episode for you guys to take and dive into for yourselves. And as I was looking into this first episode, so many helpful resources from the Bible Project. I mean, truly, the work that those two guys do is it's incredible. Crazy. It's it's incredible, comprehensive, beautiful, easily understood, um, real like beautiful understanding of the ancient languages used yeah. to write the Bible. Like it's just it's beautiful. Um, so I can't recommend it highly enough. But there's a specific video that I was exposed to that (laughs) helped me in this. And it's on the theme of temple in the Bible. So we're going to link that below if you want to pause and go look at that really fast. But this is an important theme and it is literally from Eden to Revelation. Like Mm -hmm. this is something that we see throughout all of the Old Testament, all of the New Testament, and we see continued on in the church today. So temple is the place to start. And temple is representative of like a place of overlap. It's this imagery of like heaven meeting earth, the kingdom Mm -hmm. and dominion of God meeting the like physical place of the earth. And there's so much like imagery in the Hebrew language about all these things that I I would encourage you to go see what um, these two men have done on this, on this topic. But it's essentially the place where God resides and where he rules his creation. Um, And the building of the actual temple was a symbol. Like it's not like God is contained to this building that he's limited But, um, you know, that looked like the tabernacle in Mm -hmm. the Old Testament and then the temple eventually, but they were built and dedicated as places where God would dwell and rule. And um, it's just so fascinating. There's so much here. Like there's, there's too much here to really to really do justice to in a short episode. So, um, something that I think is really, really cool is that there are like all of these symbolic pieces of tabernacle and how that God instructed the people to build the tabernacle. And then also the temple itself that are like symbolic of Eden. 
And like in the temple itself, it was adorned on like all walls with gold. And in the gold were like images of trees. Like it it was meant to be representative of Eden. The menorah itself was meant to be representative of the tree of life. Like there's all of these things that are symbolic of like bringing back this perfect union of God and man dwelling together and being ruled by him alone. And meant to point back to like his intention for his presence to be with and upon his people at all times. Um, Can I butt in please here? Please do. I'm reading in First Kings right now, and so it's all it's all talking about like the um, the temple built by Solomon, and so there's all of this very um, very rich imagery in there. Exactly what you're talking about mm-hmm. um, of the the nods to Eden, even in the structure of the temple. And so if you are interested in knowing like the specifics, I would point you to first Kings. Um, and there's a lot there. You'll, it'll be easy to find. It's literally chapters devoted to um, just describing uh, the work gone into the temple and the imagery. So mm-hmm. uh, that's just a caveat, but I would say go check that out. Totally. And they, the Bible project also has some great resources on temple practices and temple yeah. worship and all these things that is all worth Understanding and if if we're understanding like the church, like tabernacle and temple were the like place of church and the place of worship for the Jews, and so there's symbolism there, but also like as the actual resting place of the presence of God, there's there's a lot of meaning behind that. I I hate to sort of like skip over, but there's just there's too much to talk about here that I'm just not equipped to talk about, and so we'll link resources for you about all these things. But Jesus was a new kind of priest, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus was this high priest um, figure that came and he alluded to himself over and over and over again um, as bringing the rest and presence of God to all of creation. So he came as this perfect priest to, you know, bring this like idea of temple and of dwelling of God and of the rule of God beyond the like symbolic place of temple and into the hearts of man which was something like really wild for the Jews to like think about and understand. And they had had prophets and people pointing to this idea for a long time and were often confused by it. And you can see it in a lot of the like rabbinical writings and all this stuff. This was like a debate, like what does this mean? Like the actual um, hearts of flesh versus hearts of stone and like the spirit of God like perfectly residing with his people. Like, is that going to look like a new Eden? Is that a political revolution? Like, what are these things? What does it mean? Um, And so the church is the perfect completion of Jesus bringing about that work of him dying, tearing the veil, being resurrected Mm -hmm. and defeating death, defeating sin and making a way for the church, the temple to be the spirit of God dwelling in and ruling in among and through communities of believers. So this is all very like big picture. It's really hard to summarize. Um, But what this leads us to is Pentecost. And Pentecost is the incidence in which the spirit of God does this actual like act and this work like in the community of believers that started in Jerusalem. So Pentecost was representative of a renewed temple that no longer needs a building. Yeah. And viewing it through that lens is just so exciting. Like, yeah, I'm just thinking like what a joyous occasion. Like yeah. it's so joyous that we 
now get to experience that concentration of God's presence in our own hearts and yeah. in our own lives. And that this isn't an afterthought. This is yeah. this is the the work of all of the narrative of scripture, yeah. of God's work in and through his people, which we've talked about through so many stories in the Old Testament recently and all this stuff, that this is what this is all leading to, that yeah. it's not just, you know, for the Jews, that this is for all of mankind to be dwelling in the presence of God in a renewed temple. Yeah. So um, this leads us to Acts 2, and we actually have a episode that we did really breaking down this entire chapter, and it's yeah. um, about community. Yeah, it's called the Community Blueprint. The community blueprint. So go back and look at that. That was earlier um, this year. Mm-hmm. It was earlier this year, so. um, or the end of last year, sometime around then. So go look for it. Yeah, when we release we this one, it. I will also promote that one as a, a sister episode, but I'll also link it in the description. Okay. So I don't want to take up too much of your time on this episode going into the specifics of that. Read it for yourself mm-hmm. and listen to that episode. It'll give you a lot of good context. Um, but something important here is that Christianity, which we now know as this like religious institution in the world, like one of the big three, right? We yeah. have like Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. Um, but it has very humble beginnings. Yes. <laughs> and the book of Acts is incredible and one of these like against all odds kind of stories and really crazy to read. But it's really telling us as readers that following Jesus is aligning ourselves with these early believers in a lot of ways and that these early believers were a minority group of Messianic Jews in ancient Jerusalem. Like this tiny upper room is where all of this happens and where all of it starts. And it's no accident that it happens on Passover and there's a lot of symbolism there, which again, yeah. can't really get into right now. Um, but one of the things that I think is so cool about this is that as we read through Acts 2, you know, basic summary here, the spirit of God falls on the apostles and those in the upper room. Um, I think there's 40 of them, right? Or something like that. There's there's a group of people yeah. in the upper room praying and waiting for the return of Jesus. Like they're asking for, yeah. like, we don't know where, like, what hello, to do we're next. So confused. Yeah, and he said, Jesus had told them, wait on my helper. Like mm-hmm. I'm sending my helper to you. And they're like, what does that mean? Like, what does that look yeah. like? And there's this rumbling that's terrifying. Like Luke literally describes it as terrifying. And then tongues of fire, which what the heck does that even mean? Yeah. We don't know. Tongues of fire over all of these people. And the spirit of God falls on them and fills them for the first time. And they are immediately empowered to go out into the middle of busy Jerusalem on Passover and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. proclaim who he was. Peter delivers this amazing sermon that's just summarizing exactly what we're talking about here, that Jesus was this high priest to bring about this new temple that did not need a building, to bring a spirit to the people and to perfectly bring them into, into right relationship with God. And this is for... More than just the Jews. Like that's part of this first thing. And what is so crazy here, there's a list of, I think, like 15 different like geographical locations represented in people that had all come to Jerusalem for Passover. So people from um, like Crete and all these places like are listed in this chapter. But something that I didn't know is that these like 15 places are meant to represent from like Luke's perspective. He's showing you like, hey, from my cardinal compass, Mm. this is the entire known world. Yeah. He's, he's telling you that people hearing this sermon, the people being brought into this new temple, yeah. into this new community of believers are from Everywhere. every corner of the world. Yeah. So this is not contained in Jerusalem. Um, the like known ancient world of the time now has these 3000 converts that are going to be 
like meeting, gathering together, encouraging each other, and then going out to their own places and spreading this where it cannot and will not ever be contained. It was the super spreader event. (laughs) It was the original super spreader event. Um, And so something really important to understand here too is that the spirit is the ingredient that shapes the growth in the history of the church. It births the church. It grows the church. It moves the church forward. It sustains the church. Right. It was not these men. It was the, it was the filling of the spirit within them. And Peter's, uh, sermon was not of him it was of the spirit and yeah there was no way for those people to even understand what he was saying if not for the the move of the holy spirit so yeah that's important to know. exactly and what a lot of peter's sermon here can be like condensed to is that the son of david the perfect high priest had come and established a new perfect temple among his people yeah. that the the satisfaction of god's work in his people had been accomplished yeah. through Jesus. Um, so just, I mean, crazy. It, there's there's so many places in the Bible that I'm like, I want to replay. Like, I want to see yes, I wanna be there. what that was like. But this, this idea that the, the birth of the church was this like multicultural, multilinguistic event shaped by the power of the Holy Spirit speaking through imperfect people established as very imperfect people. I mean, it tells you everything you need to know yeah. about God and how he works in the world. It's incredible. And so from here, the spirit goes out with converts from Pentecost and churches are established all over the ancient world. We have these 15 different places and there's converts from every single one of them. Yeah. In all of their dialects and all their languages, they are receiving the gospel. They're communing together in Jerusalem. They're receiving encouragement and community and teaching and all of these things from the apostles who learned yeah. from Jesus himself. And... Then they're going out and they're spreading. And that's what the gospel does. Um, but then we have this problem. <laughs> There's a lot of problems in any type of movement like this, right? And even with when Jesus was alive, right? Like we had misunderstandings and misinterpretations and all this stuff through his own his own disciples. And um, he constantly was correcting them and giving them, you know, rebuke at times, mm-hmm. but like giving them correct understanding and teaching them. And then, you know, after he rises again and returns, like he spends this time with them before he ascends and he's teaching them and imparting to them and yeah. hopefully clarifying these things. But um, as the church spread and as these like original apostles are passing away, it became really important for these churches to identify correct doctrine. Yeah. And so this is where we get into the nitty gritty. And this is where we have all of these different splits and imperfections and things like that. But what we want to show you is that there is a consistent through line of what the gospel is from the very earliest days of the church, like that we actually have recorded in history outside of the Bible, that we have recorded in history from, you know, historians at the time, Christian, non-Christian, all these things, that there is like a trustworthy, dependable through line that we can look at historically, not yeah. just like, you know, the Bible is history, but I'm saying through outside sources too, which is just so cool. Yeah. And we have this book that we're going to be referring to a lot in this series by Justin Holcomb. Holcomb? Holcomb. Yeah. And it's called Know the Creeds and Councils. And it's just like a really basic, easy to digest resource that yeah. I would highly recommend you have and it's one that I found myself referring to beyond just the scope of the series yeah. where like I have a question or things like that. And it takes you through, through the ch- history of the church, all of the creeds and councils and catechisms used in different denominations and in Protestantism and Catholicism and all these things. And um, 
there's a lot of history there that we're going to hopefully get into and why those things split and all of that. Um, but what we want to talk about here as part of the like birth and solidification of the church is the apostles creed. Mm -hmm. And this is one that certain denominations, if you were raised in, you might have grown up reciting this at every church service or, um, different things like that. But a lot of us probably have never heard it, especially if we're in more um, evangelical churches. We probably just have not been familiar with this. Yeah. And it's important to know. So this, um, let me back up a little bit and say here that Holcomb like defines creeds as summaries of belief in a group, as well as a promise made and kept as a group. Mm -hmm. So these were used to baptize new believers and to teach new converts about the faith and to unify these communities of believers into common understanding, common doctrine, and proper training. Yeah, so it's like these are the standards. This is our mission statement, basically. Exactly. But way more intense than a mission statement. Yes. The interesting thing, too, as we go through, we're probably going to address most of the major creeds in this series that we go through. None of them are perfect in as much as, like, all of them are like missing something that we might call like a necessary doctrine yeah. or things like that. And it's, none of these are going to get it perfect. <laughs> um, but what this specific creed, the Apostles' Creed, was written to do is to address heresies and doctrinal errors of the time and to narrow down a statement of belief to like the essentials as was relevant in the time. But it's it's relevant to our time as well. Um, And this was actually written in 140 AD. So the cool thing about this, I don't know the exact year that the last apostle died, but this Mm -hmm. is within 50 years of the death of the last apostle. So this is like very relevant. Um, The people who would have been writing and sharing this had heard direct teachings um, from groups that had heard direct teachings from the apostle. This is like as close to a first source as you can get for the ancient world. And this is not... There's like some church histories that say this is called the Apostles' Creed because it's built up of like 12 statements from one of each of like the 12 apostles, mm. which is just legend. Like we, there's yeah, really there's no, no reason to, to, yeah. to think that that's true. Um, but there's also a lot of reason to think that the apostles, as they were writing letters and visiting churches and doing all these things and on missionary journeys and et cetera, et cetera. And as Paul was doing the same, that um, there would be like creeds and catechisms and recitations Mm -hmm. that they left churches with. And we see it in the epistles that there are um, just kind of common phrases and statements that they say to like unify on certain areas of belief. So this is not necessarily like a comprehensive list of statements directly from the apostles, but it was a summary of their teachings and writings. And so this is something that would have been commonly recited Mm -hmm. in early church history and has lasted through much of church history, like the medieval church would recite this. We like, we just, we know that churches were using this as long as we have called them churches. So really crazy to think about that. This is a long lasting thing, but Katie's, would you be willing to read this for us? Of course. Okay. So this is the apostles creed. (laughs) I believe in God, the father almighty creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, 
and the life everlasting. Amen. Yeah. So a few things to address here. Um, one is that when it says the Catholic Church here, the Holy Catholic Church, we as Protestants, or if you're Catholic listening to this, you think of Roman Catholicism, yeah. which this word is two Greek words, kata and holos, um, which just translates to according to the whole. So it's pointing to the fact that the true church resides anywhere that the gospel spreads. Mm-hmm. It basically just means true church. It does not mean papal Catholicism. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't mean that papal Catholicism has like no place or accuracy or anything like that. It just means the whole church. Yeah, it's not exclusive to yeah. that. Yeah. That we're saying I believe in the Holy Spirit and the church as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, anywhere the gospel spreads. So the other thing about this that's important is the historical context of the time. And I want to um, read a quote here and from Holcomb's book specifically. And I'm going to read a little passage from page 29. The message that God has forgiven sin because of Christ's sacrifice seems distant from the reality of a crucified religious leader. In the early church, it was important to ground religious belief in the historical life and death of Jesus of Nazareth, hence the gospel snapshot of the creed. So where it's saying like he was crucified under Pilate, he was divine. It's saying he was the um, the son of God, um, divinely conceived, born of the Virgin Mary, that he suffered under Pilate. It's mm-hmm. like giving all these specifics about his life and death. Hence the gospel snapshot in the creed against the elaborate myths of their rivals, the Gnostics, who were interested in Jesus as a figure for their spiritual allegories. So there was already, you know, a hundred years after the life and death of Jesus, um, there were already people debating his historicity, debating his significance, debating his divinity. And the first part of this was written to specifically say, no, here is the gospel that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was the son of God, that he was fully God, fully man, divinely conceived, historically like lived and was killed and was buried and died. Um, But then it's also emphasizing the divinity of him saying he descended to hell, that he accomplished this gospel work, that he rose again on the third day, ascended to heaven, seated at the right hand of God, the father almighty, where then he will come to judge the living and the dead. So it's saying like, nope, what we have to focus on and understand of the church is the person and the history and the divinity of Jesus. Yeah. Which is the fact that they thought that was like, hey, this is the first thing we have to agree on and understand um, should tell us a lot. Like we cannot call ourselves Christians if we do not agree with this. Yeah. We just can't. And all of this is drawn from scripture. This is not something that they just like made up and came up with. Um but it's a helpful thing to maybe like learn for yourself to to read and to study and maybe to recite and um, have in your back pocket so that you have an understanding of what is good and bad doctrine as far as yeah. the person of Jesus. It's not a light thing. But something else, another like continuation of this quote from Holcomb, how this applies to us in our day. Um, so he goes on to say, in our day, we have the opposite challenge. How do we keep up our religious beliefs when the mundane realities of our daily lives make it hard to grasp that God interacts with our world? And I'm going to continue here. The Apostles' Creed answers both challenges. It denies that the Christian story is myth, but it also affirms that we have a glimpse into the supernatural world through it. It goes on to show the outworking of the historical Jesus and the supernatural world in our daily lives. The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins are ways in which we can relate to and experience God because of Christ and through the Holy Spirit in our everyday mundane lives, proving that the supernatural still breaks through into the world. 
It ends by reminding us that just as Jesus's time on an ordinary earth ended with his ascension into a very unordinary glory, so too will our everyday experience of the Holy Spirit end with our own resurrection and exaltation. Mm. Amen. Amazing quote by Holcomb here, but this is... This applies to us today, and this addresses both sides of the issue of the Gnostics needing to understand the supernatural and or needing to understand the physical and yeah. us in our modern world needing to understand the supernatural. We've lost touch with that in our in our culture. And so, um, I mean, there's just, there's so much here. <laughs> it's worth reading for yourself. Um, but it's it's helpful to know that even from these like earliest days of the church, when the spirit was introduced and was like guiding and leading this, that there was an importance for not only the spirit to move and to be um, present and active in the church. Like that's the main ingredient, but what was also needed for that to be protected and um, fostered correctly was a clear historical agreement and understanding of the gospel of the person of Jesus, of the historicity of the faith. Yeah, absolutely. It's so, uh, I also love the concept of this creed in particular, because it really does just draw us to what matters. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something we need in the modern church is drawing a a return to what matters. And that is these facts about Jesus and his Mm -hmm. conception and his death and his resurrection and his conquering of death and, you know, his, his forgiveness of sins and all of that stuff. And it's all encompassed in this and I think that this can be so unifying for churches now to return back to, okay, we're, you know, arguing about all these stupid things, yeah. but let's come back and this is what's true and good and yep. we can find unity in this. Oh, and yeah. if you can't find unity in this, then you're not a Christian. <laughs> right, right. I mean, plain and simple. <clears throat> yeah. And a couple of thoughts that you just brought to my mind with that. Um one is that contention and disagreement is nothing new. I mean, yeah. we can look back at the writings of Paul and like of Peter and um, the other epistles and we can see like most of what they were addressing was disagreement and heresy and false teaching and yeah. things like that that were cropping up literally like within decades of the death of Jesus. Yeah. Um, and so there's always been a need for good teaching, for understanding of the Bible, for um, apostolic teaching and all of those things. Um, and so we're not like particularly unique in our like misunderstandings and our heresies. That's also something that I think is so important. Like so much, we think we're like this divine (laughs) race in in time where we generation. Yes, literally where we have this, like this understanding that no one before us has ever considered and that maybe they've never thought about this interpretation of these passages and blah, blah, blah. And we can see from the earliest days of the church that those things were being wrestled with. Yeah. And you know, there's so many movements of false teaching that we can see throughout church history that are, these same roots yeah. of the false teachings that we see in the modern church. There's nothing new under There's the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. And if you are unaware of the history of those things and of false teaching and of heresies, it's going to be really tempting whenever you hear um, a hot take, right? Because <laughs> there's a lot of those uh, these days. When you hear a hot take to be like, oh my gosh, like what clear revelation you have like yeah. received. And um, that's been a temptation from the very beginning. Oh yeah. From the very beginning, when the apostles themselves still lived and were teaching. Yeah. Um, so don't be don't be tricked. Don't be um 
fooled by the shiny, fresh interpretations because like Katie was saying, nothing new under the sun here. Well, and also don't be discouraged by the, well, we should always be discouraged by heresy, but don't be feeling like the heresies we hear today or the misinterpretations are the end-all, be-all and the worst that they've we ever been. We are the been. most and wicked generation. Yeah, we are the most things. wicked. We're the most deceived. And we're going to be discussing through this whole series and how there's deception and there is lies and there is heresy in every single generation, mm-hmm. in every single time period. And yeah, they may change, like the the bends may change, but it's all the same roots. Yep. And uh, we're going to be discussing that, but let that serve as an encouragement. We're not living in unique times necessarily. Yeah. Uh, this is, there is nothing new under the sun and this has all happened before and... We're still here. <laughs> We're still here. Yeah. So. And the other thing I love just that this ends with this, this, this creed specifically ends with this like affirmation of like the church and its mm-hmm. purpose saying like, I believe in the Holy Spirit in the church, the Holy Catholic church, like the church, wherever the gospel is spread, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Like the hope we have in this life and in the next that God is working and alive and moving in and amongst his people and that there is hope. And so there is a hope that we have. And that is all we have for you today with this episode. I hope it was helpful and informative and we have more coming at you next time. So buckle up. We're going to get into the nitty gritty. Yep. See you later. See you soon. Bye guys.